listening to the Michael Anthony Bible Teaching Podcast. This episode covers the life of Christ and the Gospel of Luke. You can enjoy more messages like this with the free Courage Matters app, available in your app store. If you'd like to request Michael for an interview, guest appearance, or as a keynote speaker for your event, click the Invite tab on the Courage Matters app or on CourageMatters.com. Turn with me in our Father's Word, Luke chapter 1. Awesome passage of Scripture. By the time we're done with this series, we will have covered every single verse in the entire Gospel of Luke. And it's going to take us a while, but we're in no rush. Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that's most likely a person's name, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. Certainty concerning the things you have been taught. Interesting. An orderly account. In Luke chapter 4, by the time we get to Luke chapter 4, we see that Jesus has stated his mission, his purpose from Isaiah chapter 61. Turn with me in Luke chapter 4 to Isaiah, where Jesus quotes Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1. Verse 17 of Luke chapter 4, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, Jesus. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down, and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. So Jesus states in chapter 4 his mission, and then the healings begin. The deliverances begin, what would be multiple healings, multiple deliverances of people being freed from demonic oppression, people who had wicked spirits, evil spirits afflicting and hindering their life, people who had diseases, illnesses, all types of problems that Jesus was healing people of and delivering them of. That happens in chapter 4. And then in chapter 5, we see that the crowds start to follow Jesus. And Jesus calls his inner circle, what would be his inner circle, Peter, James, and John. Remember, they're fishing. And Jesus calls them and tells them, I'm going to make you fishers of men. And they follow. They would become the inner circle of Jesus' entourage. And Jesus pronounces in chapter 5 that a man's sins, a paralytic, a crippled man, his sins are forgiven. Getting the attention of many people. Chapter 6. The healings continue. More people healed miraculously of diseases and illnesses and sicknesses. And Jesus now expands his reach and calls the 12 apostles. We know that one of them ended up being a traitor, but all of them wound up at one point or another abandoning Jesus in his deepest, darkest hour. But the healings continue. The momentum continues. Large crowds begin to follow Jesus. In chapter 7, more healings, more people delivered, more people miraculously cured, miraculously healed. And Jesus pronounces the sins, all the sins, of a woman who really needed a heavy burden taken off of her back, completely forgiven. And so by the time we turn to the three verses we're going to look at today, 
three verses today in Luke chapter 8, beginning in verse 1, we understand very clearly that a ground swell is underway. God has a ground swell underway and you have a place, you have a role to play in this ground swell, this movement of God. Movement is used. That word is used so many times today. I think it's overused. A movement of this, a movement of that. Well, God, Jesus, is the original mover and shaker. He's the one who started the ground swell. He's the one who's on the move. And people who are paying attention, people who are listening, are moving with Jesus. By this point, by the time we get to chapter 8 and verse 1, you have to be either blind, deaf, or dead not to be following Jesus, not to be paying attention to what Jesus is saying. Because not only has Jesus been healing and delivering people of demons and all types of afflictions, but he's been teaching. He's been teaching the people. And this begins a transition point in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 8. This is the beginning of a transition point because the question that you might have at this point is, wouldn't it have been nice, I I, I would have loved, wouldn't it have been nice to see some of these people who were healed miraculously, who were delivered from demons? Maybe we could put some names with these unseen faces for us today in the 21st century. And in chapter 8, verse 1, we have the privilege of actually getting exactly that. Some of the names, some of the people associated with this groundswell of Jesus coming onto the scene, of God in the flesh coming into this world and rescuing people who didn't even realize the depths of their need to be rescued. You have a need to be rescued. It's daily. It's initially you need to be rescued from your sin. Your biggest problem in life is not your financial difficulty. Your biggest problem in life is not your physical illness. Your biggest problem in life is not your job. It's not your spouse. Now it's getting hot in here, isn't it? The number one, first and foremost issue that you have in your life is a sin issue. That's got to be dealt with once and for all by having all of your sins forgiven. Just like the, the immoral woman. Jesus pronounced all of her sins in chapter 7 forgiven. Just like the paralytic who thought he had a problem walking. No, he had a problem. It was a spiritual problem. He needed to be delivered spiritually. His sins were pronounced forgiven by Jesus. You need to have absolute certainty that all of your sins, not some of your sins, not all of them except one, all of your sins are forgiven. That the heavy load that you otherwise would be carrying around, continuing to carry, is removed. You need to have certainty. That's the number one problem that you and I have, sin. And the greatest miracle that could occur in your life is the miracle of having all of your sins miraculously, instantaneously removed with absolute certainty that comes as a result of faith. In Jesus Christ. The groundswell is underway. Soon afterward, verse 1 of chapter 8. Soon afterward, he, Jesus, went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. In other words, Jesus continues to stay focused on the reason he came. Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1. Luke chapter 4, as we've read. Jesus stays focused on the main thing. The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. And as for Jesus, the main thing is to preach the good news. To tell people that there's forgiveness of sins. 
to demonstrate that he has the ability that no mere mortal has the ability to do. The ability to forgive sins. Jesus is either a liar, a looney tune, or he really is Lord, able to pronounce forgiveness of sins. Jesus stays focused. He's proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And now we get an insight, we get a glimpse into the entourage that's following Jesus. The 12 were with him, the 12 apostles, and also some women. This is peculiar because at this particular time in history, women didn't play a prominent role. These, are, these women are truly liberated in the right sense of the word. We're not talking about gender, graying. We're not talking about the roles of men and women being confused and twisted. We don't live in California where now there are no longer boys' rooms and girls' rooms in the restrooms in the public schools, but also transgender rooms. Thank you, Governor Brown. And somehow people think that by blurring the lines between male and female, we are helping those who are dealing with the consequences of sin, living outside of Eden in a fallen world. We think that we're helping them by accommodating them. We're not helping them. We are hindering them. What people need is to understand their identity in Christ. They need to understand that the book of Genesis says that in the beginning, God created them male and female. There is no third gender. There is no gray area between male and female. You are either a male or female. And if you're not sure which one you are, you are being heavily affected by living outside of Eden in a fallen world And you're living in a gray zone in your life because you don't understand the black and whites of what God teaches in his word. Now, Some people might say, who are you to tell me? Listen, would you rather hear it from me? A guy whose opinion really doesn't matter. While there's time to get with God's program. While there's time to experience the healing that you really need. And the clarification and the crystallization that you really need. Or would you rather hear it when it's too late from Jesus himself? When there's no longer time to understand with clarity. See, that's my job. My job, in part, is to put my neck on the chopping block and to go into territory that, yes, at times makes me uncomfortable to preach the truth. But I do it in love I do it in obedience to God. I do it because the truth will set you free. Lies keep people in bondage. And all around us in this country and all around the world, there are people in bondage because people who think they have good intentions, who deny the truth, are afraid to speak the truth, think they're accommodating people by not speaking the truth. By accommodating them, they're hindering them. The truth still sets people free. You might be listening by podcast today. And you need to know that you can be absolutely set free from all of your sins, all of your bondage, even demonic issues. If you will embrace Jesus and let him do in you, to you, with you and through you what you cannot do for yourself. Listen, that's the whole point. You can't do it yourself. That's the whole point. You can't do it yourself. Do you not understand that is the whole point? If you could do it yourself, 
God would have let you continue to try to do it yourself. He would have let us do it ourselves. That's the whole point. The gospel is the the whole truth and nothing but the truth that you can't do it yourself. You need somebody to do for you what you can't do for yourself. And that is rescue you from your demonic issues that you might be facing. You need somebody to do for you what you can't do for yourself to rescue you. Yes, from a physical illness that you might be suffering. And I say that as a cancer survivor. Why did God even let me get cancer in the first place? The point being that whether you're healed miraculously or your healing might take time or you're not healed at all physically, God can enable you to endure whatever it is this side of eternity. And enable you to not be distracted with the material things of this world, material healing, physical healing. Demonic issues when the real issue in your life is a sin issue. Whether or not you're going to be in the boat with Jesus, hook, line, and sinker. But here, the 12 are with them. Verse 2, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene. That's from the area. Her name comes from the area that she was from. From whom seven demons had gone out. And Joanna, wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna and many others who provided for them out of their means. Now, there's some things said in Scripture about Mary, called Magdalene, Mary Magdalene. There's some things in Scripture about Joanna. We're going to talk about Joanna in a moment. Susanna is a little bit harder to find. I couldn't find commentators writing anything about Susanna, so I went to the Internet. And I did some research on the Internet, and I found out that apparently Susanna had a passion for music. She was given to a lot of crying, and she liked southern men. (laughs) Old Susanna, don't you cry for me. I come from Alabama with a banjo on my knee. That's all I've been able to find about Susanna. Maybe she was healed of a disease. Had a gratitude toward Jesus. Maybe she was... Delivered from a demon or two. Had a lot of gratitude in her heart toward Jesus. Her husband's not mentioned if she was married. Joanna, we see in the scriptures later on that she's one that is with Mary Magdalene. When they go to the tomb. It's Joanna who's there with Mary Magdalene. You see that at the end of Luke's gospel. You can look there for yourself. It's interesting that God would choose two women. To be witnesses to the empty tube. It's also interesting that Joanna is an insider. What do I mean by that? She was married to the guy who was in charge of Herod's household. That's a strategically significant position to be in. Did you catch that? Verse 3, Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager. Now why does this become significant? In Luke chapter 23, verse 8. Look with me at Luke chapter 23, verse 8. When it's time for Jesus to be crucified, we get to this portion of scripture and Jesus is now being brought before the Sanhedrin. He goes before Pontius Pilate, then he goes before Herod. There's a curiosity about Jesus. We're at the end, nearing the end of Luke's gospel, and there's a curiosity about Jesus. And we read these words in verse 8 of chapter 23. When Herod saw this, now keep in mind, who is the head of Herod's household? A guy named Chusa. 
Who's his wife? Joanna. What's Chusa's wife doing? Following Jesus for whatever reason there might be. And in verse 8 of chapter 23, we read that when Herod saw Jesus, he was very glad for he had long desired to see him because he had heard about him and he was hoping to see some sign done by him. I wonder, not to go beyond what is written, but I do have to wonder, as a student of the word of God, somebody who takes a deep drink of the scriptures and doesn't look at them just casually, what role Joanna might have had in influencing her husband who then had access to Herod. In other words, how did Herod get this word about Jesus? Of course, he would have been hearing all types of information from the people as Jesus was gaining a reputation among the people and performing miraculous signs and wonders and teaching. It was clear that Jesus was a teacher par excellence, a teacher unlike any other teacher. He was more than a man. That was clear. But I wonder if God had chosen Joanna to be strategically placed so that there was inside information given to Herod through her husband. But it's interesting that Joanna was a woman playing a key role at a time when women didn't have key roles. And now, of course, we save the best for last. Mary called Magdalene. There's nothing in the scriptures to indicate that she was an immoral woman. I know that some traditions hold to that. It's possible that's true because somebody with seven seven demons, oftentimes demons end up harassing people because of promiscuity because when you unite yourself with another person you unite yourself with everything that other person has been part of for better or for worse and when you unite yourself with another person when you unite yourself with another person outside the context of marriage one man between one woman that's the biblical definition of marriage He who wants to redefine the biblical definition of marriage has to contend with God. Because God is the one who defines marriage as one man, one woman. And then physical union between that one man and that one woman is ordained and approved of by God. So what happens about physical union between a man and a woman or otherwise? outside the context of what God has ordained. It's called idolatry. You might as well be worshiping Satan when you do those types of things because you're opening up a Pandora's box to the discipline, the judgment of God. And so in my instances of counseling people with demonic issues, oftentimes there has been some type of sexual crossing of the lines, some type of sexual activity outside the context of what God has ordained that often has led to the foothold, the stronghold. In the book of Ephesians, the scriptures say, do not give the devil a foothold. In other words, a Christian can give the devil a foothold. Enough said in regard to Mary Magdalene. It's possible that she was immoral, that that's the reason why she had seven demons, but We don't want to speculate. What we do want to say is that Satan is real. Demonic creatures, fallen angels are real. It's not just that she had a demon or there there was a demon that came out of her. She had not just one, not two, not three, not four, not five, not six, but seven. There's clarity in the scriptures that seem to indicate something went on 
in the ministry of Jesus. And Mary Magdalene was there. And the casting out was so significant and so specific, so unmistakable, that seven evil spirits were said to have come out of her. That is significant. Satan is real. Evil forces are real. People need to be delivered. Sometimes a person's issue is not mental. Sometimes a a person's issue is absolutely satanic. Now, the satanic does influence the mental. But oftentimes we're going about it backwards because there needs, underlying there is an issue of rebellion that leads to a satanic activity which then affects the mind. And those things work together. That's why you need to deal with, I need to deal with, the seeds of rebellion before they take root. The seeds of rebellion before they take root in our minds, in our hearts. Rebellion is like the sin of witchcraft, First Samuel says. Re- rebellion is as the sin of divination, witchcraft. It's not a small thing to be rebellious. You don't want to be characterized as a follower of Jesus Christ as having any kind of rebellion in you. In fact, it's counterproductive. It's contradictory, it's hypocritical for a believer to be characterized as being rebellious. That's just not, those two sentences, those two words don't belong in the same sentence. Believer, rebellion. But we have to understand with absolute clarity that evil forces called demons, entities, are individual creatures. In this particular case, seven of them had harassed Mary from Magdalene. It's actually Mary from Magdala. And what we take away from this is that Mary, when we come to the end of the Gospels, is the first one to see the resurrected Jesus in the garden. She thinks he's a gardener. Hey, where have you put his body? Can you tell me? Where have you put his body? Can you tell me? You're the gardener. Didn't recognize him. And Jesus says, Mary. And then she's able to see what she couldn't see before. She realizes it's Jesus. Mary came to understand that her past had nothing to do with her future. And neither does yours. Your past has nothing to do with your future. Unless you bring your past into the present. Uh Uh-oh. Where's he going with this? More importantly, it's not just that Mary came to understand that her past did not have to be a determining factor of her future. God knows that your past in no way whatsoever needs to hinder your future. The only time you will hinder your future If you have a past, is if you bring it into the present and you get stuck in the mud. I can't tell you the numbers of people. I literally cannot tell you the numbers of people who I meet with, whether in my office or over a cup of coffee or whatever it might be, who are stuck in their present because of something that happened in their past. But you don't understand this person did this to me and it was terrible what this person did to me. You know what? Do you know Jesus as your Savior? Yes, I do. Well, could you get over it? Because Jesus forgave you all of your sins. What is your problem that you can't forgive the other person of their sins? 
Now listen, I'm not speaking hypocritically. I've shared with you in great vulnerability and transparency the problems that I've had in my own family with my father. So no one can say to me, Pastor Mike, you don't understand. My father threatened to kill me at one point, for those of you who don't remember. My father and I were estranged for 15 years where we did not see each other. I know what it's like to have somebody hurt me, wound me deeply. And I'm skating on the surface by sharing those details with you. But what completely hypocritical, though unintentioned, it is still hypocritical, is when somebody who professes to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, and I was a hypocrite, particularly in the regard to my relationship with my father, I needed to repent. Yes, had my father done things to me? Yes, he did. Were they terrible things? Yes, they were. Did Jesus die for those sins? Yes, he did. Did my father accept Christ? Yes, he did. So the question then becomes, why was I allowing my past to be brought into my present? Because it was hindering my future, my future effectiveness with God. I was stuck in the mud until I dealt with the hurts of my past. And many people are today. You don't understand what that person did to me was terrible. No, I understand. More importantly, God understands. And either Jesus died for that. And either you can forgive God in the power of Christ that you can't do humanly speaking or you are stuck in the mud. Many people stuck in the mud, stuck in things that happened months ago, stuck in things that happened years ago. And I have to wonder, I scratch my head at times and yet I can identify as somebody who was stuck in the mud myself. Your problem is that you don't understand how much you've been forgiven. The problem is you don't understand what Jesus really died for. You want to personally apply the the resurrection. You want to personally apply the crucifixion to your own life and the forgiveness of Christ. You want to accept for personal reasons the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. But you are unwilling to express and give forgiveness to somebody else. You are blocked. You are stuck. You are hindered. Now your past does not have to affect your future in a negative way unless you let your past come into the present. We have ample evidence right here from Mary that somebody can have a deep, dark past. Somebody can be hindered with seven demons. Maybe you have one. Here's a woman with seven. Delivered by Jesus. And Jesus gave her a future. Recorded in scripture. You don't have to be held in bondage to what somebody did to you. You need to grow up spiritually. You need to drink deeply of what it means that if you say you know Jesus as your savior, you gave Jesus a black eye and he forgave you. You knocked the wind out of Jesus and he forgave you. You kicked the stool out from under Jesus' feet and he forgave you. You And I spit on him and beat him and put the crown of thorns on him. It was me and it was you that picked up the long nails and took the heavy hammer and drove them into his hands. Drove them into his feet. You and I did that. You say, well, I wasn't there. That was 2,000 years ago. If you were there living outside of Eden, not understanding who Jesus was, you would have done it too. Or maybe you would have been one of the 12 when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane and it wasn't just Judas came and gave him a kiss. They all abandoned Jesus. We don't have 
superhuman heroes who are mere mortals in the Bible. They all mess up one way or another. They all have a past. And God gives us those people as reminders that yes, God can use them. Yes, God can use anybody. But there's got to be a humility. There's got to be a transformation that takes place in the lives of people so that God can take the past, forgive it, change your present, and unleash you into a God-glorifying future. You know what's interesting about this passage of Scripture? We would expect by this point, I mean, we're in Luke chapter 8, you would expect by this point that it would read like this. Verse 1, soon afterward, he went on through the cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the Pharisees and the scribes were so impressed, they recognized that Jesus was indeed the Messiah, prophesied about in all the Old Testament scriptures. And so, they followed Jesus. They studied the scriptures with him daily and ate meals and went out with him and taught in the synagogues with Jesus. And yet, strangely absent, none of the religious leaders are in the entourage. Not one. Not one Pharisee. Not one scribe. Not one teacher of the law. Not one. And you know, it's true then. It's true today. The hardest people to include and to involve in the groundswell of God are religious people. And I'm talking about even within the, the body of Christ, universally, the hardest people, the most difficult people to get on board when God is moving. When God is moving. Are the people who are used to the ritual. Not the way we do it here. <clears throat> seven deadly words of a church. We've never done it that way before. Good for you. God never sent the Savior before this point. Got something new happening here. A true groundswell of God. A true movement of God. These are the marks, the characteristics of a true movement of God. And who is strangely, painfully, ooh, it hurts, painfully, Absent from a clear, irrefutable, unmistakable movement, groundswell of God that everyone had been praying for and all of the law and the prophets had been pointing toward. The day had come when God had answered the prayer and his kingdom is advancing. The entourage is building and who is not there? The religious people. Because religious people have got all figured out. They've studied it. Well, this is how God moves. God always does it this way. Really? You ever read about the floating axe handle in the Old Testament? How often has that happened? Is that something you can predict? Multitudes of examples in the scriptures. Multitude after multitude of examples of God confounding the wisdom of the wise. Religious people are people who have got all figured out. They've got them in a nice, neat box. It's usually very ornate, very expensive. Don't touch the box, because when you touch the box, my life has to change. 
God, move in my life, but don't do it that way. Why are you doing it that way? Lord, when you do that, don't you understand I've given you this? You've given it to me. You've shown me. We've got God in this nice, ornate, expensive box. And now God wants to do something new. He wants to do something fresh. Don't get me wrong. There are always characteristics of when God moves. It always points attention to God and not merely men. But I have found the scriptures to be true, that the most difficult people, and I have to be careful myself being the lead pastor of this church, the most difficult people. See, I'm in probably the most difficult position of anybody in this whole church. The most difficult people to get on board with a groundswell movement of God are people who think they know God. People who think they know the word of God, think that they understand how God moves. The more religious you are, the more of a track record you have and how God has moved, the more dangerous, the more dangerous ground you are on that you could continue to build a box and pour cement over top of it and around it and make sure that it's secure. And then God wants to move you into a new area. God wants to do a new work in your life. Not a bizarre work. I'm talking about a new work. Wants to set you free. Wants to explode the God-sized box that you've created for him. And you have a difficult time. God begins a groundswell and you can't get going. Somebody begins to change in your family who is obstinate and you've prayed for them and you've struggled and you've wrestled with God. God begins to change them and you can't handle it. You start putting that person back in the same role that they had been trapped in and enslaved in for so long. You've got to pray prayers that are God-sized and when God begins to answer those prayers, be ready to receive them. Be careful what you ask God to do because he might start doing it. The groundswell is underway. Not one of the Pharisees, not one of the scribes is part of the record of Scripture. Not following Jesus is a matter of the entourage. You see, what's happening here is we're seeing the followers of Jesus. Any groundswell from God has a leader. And you know who our leader is? His name is Jesus. And pastors and leaders listening by podcast, as well as here right now, need to understand that if you're not pointing people to Jesus Christ and people start just talking about you, you're not doing your job. You're failing. You can be a miserable failure regardless of the size of your church. Yes, people start to praise and put on pedestals leaders of churches. The larger the church, the more famous and more Uh, well-known and popular, the preacher actually becomes. It's a very dangerous place to be. It's dangerous for me to be in that position as our church grows. I'm aware of that. I'm also aware that to whom much is given, much is required. That I will only be worth my weight in salt, eternally speaking, if when people try to praise me, if when people try to praise you for something that only God did, You help them quickly understand it was God, not me. Listen, we have biblical precedent. And if you understand the King James Bible, you know that it's true. God uses jackasses all the time. I'm speaking in King James. Usually I preach from the ESV. But I'm accommodating those who have the King James version. Where instead of donkey, jackass is used. 
Every groundswell that comes from God has the leader, and the leader is Jesus. I might be the lead, shep- the lead shepherd or the lead pastor of this church, humanly speaking, but I am the under-shepherd following the leader. I am one of many leaders, the elders, myself, following Jesus, who is the leader. So a true groundswell has Jesus as the leader. If you're going to say it's a move of God, it better be very clear that Jesus is leading. And what Jesus has here is his, his successors, the 12 apostles. Of course, one of them bails big time. Success requires successors. You have the leader and then you have the other leaders underneath Jesus, pointing people to Jesus. Peter, after having denied the Lord three times, ends up preaching that amazing message, that amazing sermon in the the Feast of Pentecost. And 3,000 people come to know Jesus as their Savior and their Master. 3,000 people get baptized. It didn't happen with Jesus in the course of his whole three-year ministry. One day... God can do something through you if you're surrendered to him. God can do something through you if you're following the leader and you're pointing people to Jesus. Yes, you can expect God to do great, wonderful, amazing things through you. You, But you must remember, you must remember, if not you, somebody else. It's not because of you. Listen, the only time it is because of you is because you're smart enough to be humble enough to get out of the way to let God use this jar of clay that he's given you, your body, your life, your mind, your mouth, your resources. Every groundswell movement of God has the leader, Jesus. It has the leaders who end up being the successors, the ones who are appointing people to the leader. And then has supporters. Did you notice this interesting passage of scripture here that's mentioned here? And if you blink, you miss it. Verse 3, Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others, old Susanna. What did they do? Provided for them out of their means. The word that's used there is indeed plural. They're providing not just for Jesus, but for this entourage, the twelve. Provided for them out of their means. They were financially supporting the traveling ministry of the leader. Jesus. What we're seeing here in the word of God is the establishment of this groundswell. Of which you and I are beneficiaries today over 2,000 years later. Is that not amazing? We are experiencing, we are beneficiaries of the groundswell started by Jesus, which is still continuing. A true movement has people who are focusing on the leader, pointing people to the leader, and on top of that, supporting the groundswell. It does take financial resources, but more than that, it's not about just the money. It's about commitment. It's about you and me having the type of commitment that we see of Mary Magdalene and Susanna and Joanna and the 12. And it says many others 
many others. This is just a sampling of some of the people who were delivered from demons, some of the people who were delivered from physical ailments, some of the people who saw what Jesus did and were beneficiaries of Jesus' healing ministry and his teaching ministry and his pronunciations of their sins being forgiven. What we're seeing is some of the names, some of the characters. If we were there, we would have the names and the faces The players in this drama, this groundswell that's moving. The fact of the matter is that you are somewhere in God's groundswell. You are someplace in what God is doing here in York, Pennsylvania, in the United States of America and around the world. You are, if you say you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you're part of that groundswell. God wants you to play your part with tremendous effectiveness, pointing people to the leader of leaders, Jesus Christ. And in some capacity, it should become obvious and crystal clear to us that a true groundswell, a movement of God has people who are committed all in for the glory of God. People who invest all of their resources, their very lives, leaving everything to follow Jesus. It was true then and it's true today. You've been listening to the Michael Anthony Bible Teaching Podcast. If you enjoyed this message, you'll love Michael Anthony's Courage Matters podcast, where he focuses on leadership, relationships, and world events. To learn more, visit CourageMatters.com or download the free Courage Matters app. Interested in requesting Michael for an interview, guest appearance, or as a keynote speaker for your event? Click the Invite tab on the Courage Matters app or on CourageMatters.com. In the meantime, keep looking up. There's no place else worth looking. Mm -hmm.